Hello and welcome to Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your host? I'm Marianne. And I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. Thank you all so much for joining me again this week for the final episode in this two-part series on the famous Tic Tac video and the things that were witnessed by members of the USS Nimitz Strike Force Group. For those of you who are not present for the first episode of this two-part series, then this is a very brief background. In November 2004, 90 miles southwest off the coast of Mexico near Baja, California, in the USA, the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was conducting two weeks of routine training and aerial defence exercises when unexplained events occurred that forever have altered the lives of the men and women on board these ships who were witness to these episodes. What began as a routine naval training exercise ended up as one of the world's best documented UFO sightings in the 21st century. Witnesses included highly trained military personnel, amongst them very, very experienced radar operators and fighter pilots. These were men who were in charge of the world's then most sophisticated advanced flight and sensor technology that existed in the world at that time. I do suggest that you go back and listen to the first episode before this one if you've not already heard it. A video of part of this incident was leaked to the world and has been subject of intense speculation since. Are you ready to continue this journey with me into this part of the Shadowlands? Good, then let's begin. We're going to start today with my conversation with Patrick Hughes. Patrick was a former petty officer aboard the USS Nimitz in the role of an aviation tech, VAW-117. Here's Patrick's experience. Okay, firstly, thanks again for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to share with myself and my listening audience the things that you witnessed during this episode of the USS Nimitz and the Tic Tac video. It's pretty famous throughout the world now, but there are still many, many people, particularly in my part of the world, who may not or may only have a little bit of knowledge about it. So to hear from people who were actually present during the events and were part of the experiences, that's a really huge thing to me. So perhaps, Patrick, we could start like this. Maybe you could tell us what your role was during these encounters and then lead us into the instance. I won't talk too much. I'll just ask the odd question every now and then and I'll just let you share your story with us all. 
Um, yeah. Um, I joined the Navy in 2000. I got out in 2000, just before 2011. So I was in just under 11 years. Um, in 2004, I was stationed with VAW 117, the wall bangers. We were based out of California, a place called Point Magoo, which is about an hour north of LA. Um, and in the fall of 2004, we were um, doing basically workups, training cycle, preparing for deployment in 2005 on the Nimitz with the Nimitz Strike Group, uh, encompassed us, the Princeton, and a few other ships. Um, at the time, I was a second-class petty officer. Um, I had actually just made second class. I'd just gotten promoted, essentially. Um, but I was responsible. Uh, I worked on the E2C Hawkeye. Uh, it's a small looking airplane with a UFO looking object sitting on the top of it, which is actually the radar. Um, and I was responsible for the radar, the communications, navigations, um, data links, some other stuff that's in there, some classified stuff, you know, all the fun stuff. So um, it was a plane that kept us pretty busy. Right. And in. 2000, like I said, when the uh, Nimitz stuff happened, um, I didn't know about a lot of it till well after the events when I actually got in touch with Gary Voorhees and Kevin Day and uh, the other guys. I didn't know the extent of the story. Um, I thought it was an isolated, essentially one or two flight event that we had with some of the pilots, but they'd actually been tracking the objects um, for the whole, almost a week, give or take. No, um, Kevin, Kevin Day, who's probably got the, uh, most time with, with the event, so to speak, um, has said it's just about, just about a week. Mm. Um, but we were operating off of, off of Southern California, about 90 miles or so, but we're actually more towards Mexico, um, than we were towards California. Um, but specifically, um, the Hawkeye, which is a radar plane, was up there. Uh, a friend of mine who, who, in the Nimitz Encounters documentary that Dave Beatty did, uh, is referred to as Roger, was actually airborne on that flight um, the same time as Commander Fravor's intercept um, Commander Fravor's been on the news. He was one of the first people to go public about this. Um, and he actually visibly saw the object. Um, but the Tic Tac actually formed up very briefly with the Hawkeye right. uh, and took off. Um, so I've spoken with Roger and a couple of the other people who choose to remain anonymous in that airplane. Um, so I know most of their stories and it was very unnerving for them to have something like that just pop up next to the airplane and take off just as quick. Yeah. So when that airplane had returned, um, we do a bunch of normal stuff. When that plane hits a deck, um, we check it, make sure it hasn't broken, you know, nothing fell off. Um, all the screws are still there. Um, we also take, we have some classified hard drives that are in the airplane. Um, they, they run the airplane, but they also um, have the capability to record a whole mess of information from the airplane during the flight. Right. From the radar to, to the sensor, CEC, ESM, a whole bunch of initials that I can uh, 
confuse everybody with. Um, but because of what we were doing, we, we had been recording a lot of flights, and I knew that flight was recording. Um, it didn't make any difference till well after the fact why I why I remember that they're recording. Um, but when I got back, I, I take those classified hard drives out, go back inside the skin of the ship to our little workspace. Uh, we put them in our safe, and within 15, 20 minutes um, of the plane returning and me getting back down, my commanding officer comes knocking at the door who normally doesn't wander over to our part of the ship. If he wants to talk to us, he says, come talk to me, and we go to him. Right. Having him over there was unique enough, but with him were uh, two uniformed Air Force officers who were not on the ship before that I, to the best of my recollection, and I can explain why I have a pretty good idea. They weren't there in a minute, so if I don't get back to it, remind me. I will. Um, But he basically knocks on our door with those two uniformed Air Force officers and says, I need all the... uh, we call them bricks because they're actually quite heavy. Right. Um, but basically, it's a big case with a hard drive inside of it. But he asked the bricks out of the safe from that flight. And it's not normal for them to do that. Normally, we know ahead of time if somebody's coming to get them. Um, so I, I take them out. I go to sign them out because we have a logbook that tracks them all. And he's like, don't worry about it. Basically, give them to me. Oh. So he overrode protocol? It, yes and no. Um, he overrode like standard procedure. Right. But being the commanding officer, every piece of classified material in that command belonged to him anyways. Right, right. So it's kind of like stealing from yourself. Right. Um, so yeah, it was different from normal protocol, but it wasn't... He wasn't, like, breaking any laws or anything. Right. Um, which I know has confused some people when I tell that part of the story. Um, so he takes those. Um, he takes his two little Air Force friends that I'd never seen, and that's the last I ever saw those bricks. We never got them back. Um, they never told us more of the story. Um, but Roger, who was on that flight shortly after our skipper there, uh, came to take everything, finally returned from debrief, you know, because they do talking about stuff, what happened and what they could have done better. Right. And starts to vaguely clue us into the fact that something happened. Um, but because he actually signed an NDA and the air crew that he was with actually signed NDAs, that's why they're not saying anything. And he really couldn't tell us what was happening. Um, that was the last we discussed it for a long time because we were just told not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the, the ship had some fun with the story. Um, the ship has a plan of the day, which is almost like a little daily newspaper with a whole bunch of list of events. And it's usually got a little cartoon in it. So it was a, a UFO themed car, uh, themed cartoon the next day. Right. Um, the movie channels on the ship happened to be playing, you know, men in black, um, some other, Basically, they were poking fun at all the officers who, who saw it. Um, right. So, but the reason, uh, back to the two Air Force officers. The reason I'm pretty confident they weren't there before is because when you're out to sea, there are only two ways onto the ship. Oh, really? A helicopter or a C-2 Greyhound, which is 
a sister airplane to the one I worked on. Um, I'd actually spent a lot of time working on that airplane. And we took care of it when we were out to sea. So we would almost always see who was getting on and off the back of it. Right. And I never saw them get on or off before then. Um, two Air Force officers are going to stand out on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. You know, there's, despite the fact that there's almost 6,000 people on an aircraft carrier, wow. when you're out there long enough, you tend to still know who's who. Yeah, right. Of course you do. You may know the face. You may not necessarily know the name, but you know the people are there. So they weren't there. Um, they never came off the cod. Uh, pretty sure they came on board via helicopter. Um, it wasn't until much later when I finally connected with Gary Voorhees, who was on the Princeton, um, that we kind of made sense of the the whole how did they get to the ship thing um, because he had some people come to his ship to take his classified stuff, pretty much the same data type of recordings that I had, um, and they flew out on a helicopter because that's all you can get on the Princeton is a helicopter. Right. Um, but the helicopter on a carrier lands and takes off so often – that you wouldn't notice it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to keep track of people getting on and off because mm-hmm. sometimes the pilots switch out, so it's very easy to miss somebody coming on that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when I finally got the confirmation that they, they took stuff from him, it made a lot more sense um, to how they got things. Right. Um, so that's, for the most part, I never actually saw the Tic Tac object um, I kind of wish I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but if you did, you probably would wish you hadn't. Yeah. Both Gary and Patrick then went on to tell me about their personal thoughts and musings about what they experienced. I admit that I was a bit surprised, but at the same time not, if that makes any sense, about what their conclusions actually were. So let's continue with Gary's thoughts and conclusions, and then we'll hear Patrick's. So... Now, that's one of, one of the small pieces that kind of lends me to believe that um, it might have been our own tech, you know, because, all right, so 
follow me along my rabbit hole and down my rabbit hole where this is this is the most logical explanation that I've come up with right. for exactly what these objects were. Now, I do believe that in Drake's equation, I believe that there, you know, it's it's very it's very impractical to believe that there has never been anybody more smart or smarter than us mm. before us. <laughs> you know, I mean, there could have been civilizations that had already mm. had interspace travel well before we even existed. Yeah, absolutely. But I also believe that these, you know, that any of these species of aliens or whatever you want to call them probably don't have faster than light travel. Because, I mean, that level of engineering is still even beyond what we were seeing with these Tic Tacs. So to have faster than light travel is probably the goal of every species at some point or another. But I believe that they are just a multi-generational space travelers. Like they, it takes them it's still, even at the tremendous speeds they can go, you know, if we even went to, to you know, Alpha Centauri mm -hmm. or, or, you know, any of these places where there, you know, where a lot of people claim that there's going to be civilizations, you know, it's going to take, you know, 10, 20 generations of people traveling at those speeds to even get here. Right. So if they had, say they had visited our planets and they left saying, hey, we're going to come back, you know, they have every intention of coming back, but that's, you know, 20 generations. And you got to remember time is relative to the position in space you are. Right. So their 20 generations could be, you know, you know, the earth could be supernova by the time they get back. You know, it, it takes 10 billion years for the supernova to start. You know, they could, they could be just getting back saying, oh, man, we missed them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Or there's also the theory that time can fold in on itself. Well, time is completely relative to the gravitational position, yeah. which, you know, whatever. I mean, it's it's been proven that it can be affected by gravity yeah. and it can be affected by mass. So and that's actually the basis of the fact that you can go back in time. Right. The The fact that I think that yeah, I really do think that we, this planet's probably been visited at some point or another. Um, I think that if they did, they probably left monitoring systems. Mm. Mm. Now, what we think is underwater bases and alien spacecraft and stuff like that, it's a good possibility that if, if there, I mean, now this is only going down the lines that if there is aliens, mm -hmm. I have no proof. This is just my thought process. <laughs> I have, I have so many different lines of thought about, I mean, just knowing that this level of tech exists opens up too many lines of thought for me. So, yeah, it does. So I'm saying if there is aliens and they have visited and they did want to monitor this planet, well, what would we do right now? Anything we want to keep an eye on, what do we do? Put drones in the air. Hmm. We keep monitoring systems. We put cameras up. We, we do something. Well, if you're that advanced, you don't need all the cameras and stuff. You just do one drone. It has, you know, every system, every, every sensor system on, you know, that they things we can't even imagine yeah you know they're probably you know one of their drones could probably monitor everything going on the earth at one time mm. you know seismically you know you know basically general status of the earth itself 
Right. And, you know, so say one of these things does malfunction and crash, like say in the 50s in a desert in the United States right. or in the 60s in the middle of, uh, you know, the, the tundra out in the middle of uh, Russia, right. you know, or in India or in any of these other places that have had these right. crashes and, you know, sightings where, where they've seen ships crash. Mm. So this is still a high level of tech, even if it is a drone. Mm. And who knows, they may even have biochemical tech, meaning that what's inside may look alive. Right. It could, it could be alive because they may have figured out that a, a you know, a live brain or a, a you know, a reproduced, uh, you know, physical, you know, physical, you know, the physical synapses of our brain are way better than a computer. Mm-hmm. We can, we can extrapolate things that a computer can never even, con- you know, come up with it as a concept because of the way our brains work. We are the best computers on the planet. There's nothing better than our brains. Yeah. Even quantum computers don't even come close. The only difference is, is the quantum computer can be focused on one thing the amount of information that our brains process in a day, even, even a dull brain (laughs) suppresses. I mean, we're talking terabytes of information a second. So, I mean, so, I mean, there's no more powerful computer on this planet than our brains. So who says they don't have biotech Mm. based off of that same type of neuro neuro pathways, you know, to us, it looks like something alive inside of a drone to them. It's just an inert drone with no actual soul because they grew the damn thing. (laughs) <laughs> that's actually well you know that's actually a very valid line of thought yeah absolutely all right so now say they did come here they left monitoring systems well all systems malfunction right so you're going to have crashes from time to time right but say they do have a level of tech where they can keep themselves completely go they could go come and go without ever us ever seeing them without ever knowing about that they're here mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden well, we get a hold of a little bit of their tech. Mm. You know, at first, we're not really know what to do with it, especially in the 50s and the 60s. Yeah. You know, but all of a sudden in 69, we're hitting the moon. Right. Uh, I mean, less than 10 years into a space program. <laughs> I mean, really going from V2 rockets to the moon in less than 10 years. Well, we went from computers one computer that took rooms and rooms and rooms to a little microchip and how long? Uh, less than 20 years. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah it's a, the, the, the level of tech. And I think it's kind of uh, as our tech got more, you know, they'd get an idea from the tech and then yeah. they, obviously it would work. And then it would just get a little bit better, a little bit better. And then as our tech gets more wild, it's because they figured out more things with this other tech, right? You know, so all of us, all of a sudden, you now have you know thirty years of different generations of these these flying craft that mm-hmm. they've been trying to develop. Mm-hmm. You know, then now, now all of a sudden that that accounts for your triangle ones, that accounts for your round ones, that accounts for your orbs, that accounts for you know all of a sudden they decide that they're going to do proof of concept on a new gravitational system to see how well it goes up against what we are our best right now. Right. You know, they know right where our battle group is. They know that we're not armed yeah. or that we're doing that. They, all they're going to have is cat missiles, which are basically just fixed missiles that just look pretty. They don't leave. They can't be shot. You know, I think they might have some, some rounds in their machine guns, but unless they're fired on, they can't fire back. Right. <laughs> so they, they, they come in, they just float around, see what we're going to do. 
see what they see what we can do about it. And, you know, sudden seven days goes by and then finally they say, okay, well, we got to go intercept these things, see what's going on, finally intercept them. And then we can't do anything. Mm. We, we can't, we can't even keep up with them to shoot them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so all of a sudden proof of concept done. Right. Your systems work great. Let's get back to the hangar. <laughs> exactly. And I spoke with Patrick Hughes the other day. Yeah. And he expressed the same ideas in different words, of course. He felt that it was likely our technology because, like, at the time that you guys had these experiences, you guys were the best technology there was in the world. Yes. And then along, oh, I don't know how many years later, the, the, the other video of the gimbal, is it the gimbal video? Yeah, that was in 2015, I think, off the coast of, well, Florida. Yeah. That was, that was another exercise, and along came more sightings. Yep, another situation where they'd know exactly where we were, exactly, exactly what we were doing, that we would have training missiles, that we wouldn't be at. Exactly. You know. And that would explain why the command of your ship, of the exercise, in fact, wasn't overly concerned about what was going on because… They may have been told not to be. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Exactly. And then they may have been, you know, they may have been just waiting for the go-ahead to go ahead and do the interrogation. Right. You know, and then, you know, I mean, a lot of things just don't make a lot of sense about this whole thing. There were very few people that had to sign non-disclosures. Yeah. And it was only people that, it was only people that had some real up and close information and person, and, and, you know, like the people off the, uh, like, uh, like, uh, uh, Patrick Hughes, you know, he's 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 a good buddy of mine, and you know, he's he's told me about you know some of the some of the more you know a lot of the details, you know, even stuff that he can't talk about, you know, because we can talk to each other about classified stuff. But yes, of course, you know, and and believe me, you guys aren't missing out on the classified stuff. A lot of it's just boring, you know, monotonous. Okay, well, you know, we had the R patch and and we did the you know da, 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 yeah. da. you know just going over the things that we did. It's it's all it's all just the nuts and bolts stuff. It's, I mean, some, some of the people out there are really going to want to know that stuff yeah. but when it comes down to it. It's still classified. Right. Absolutely. You know, and it doesn't surprise me. They had somebody on the helicopter to get the data because if you, if you were doing, trying to do proof of concept, of course, you're going to go get the data so that you can analyze it. And as soon as possible. Yeah. Yep. You're gonna go get the. You're gonna go get all the data. Yeah. You're bring it in, and you're gonna you're gonna put it versus what you get off of what you what you're getting off of your craft that you're trying to do proof of concept with. Yeah. All right. So the craft saw this. This is what they saw. So where can we make it better? Right. That absolutely makes sense to me, actually, from a layperson's point of view. And now the only reason I really kind of ended up going down that path is just because you know it, it being. Not a not a UFOologist or a, you know somebody that really studies it. Kind of kind of like uh, more people just interested. You know, I was always an X Files fan, but not a you know. But I wasn't you know I wasn't running around you know staring at the sky every night. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hoping that I get abducted. You know, I'm not you know I'm not yeah. you know, I'm not I'm not I was never one of the people like that. Like I said, I've always been a skeptical believer just about everything, and. uh it, it did excite me that, that all this stuff that was happening, but I guess it was mostly just in a, in more of a scientific way. Cause it just kind of like, it opened my eyes to what's possible. I absolutely understand that. And, you know, so I got very excited about that. I didn't even care where it was from. I, that, I was just, I was like, Oh my God, 
you know, gravitational systems for propulsion exist. You know, I was yeah. like, holy shit, because that was the only way I could explain the way that they moved. Right. Yeah, because they had to have been working outside of gravity. Yeah, well, the turns they made, the G-forces would have splattered the pilots against the wall of the ship, wouldn't it, if anybody was piloting them? Yeah, yeah, they, they uh, a human body wouldn't be able to take that kind of force unless they were being protected by something. Yeah, that's what I thought. Now, you know, that could be like the gravitational inertia, you know, so if, they, if they're not being affected by gravity on the inside of the container, then there is no inertia. Right. So you could, so you could take a right at turn, you could do anything. Right. And you're not going to, you're not going to feel it. <laughs> right. So that's, that's why it was so amazing to me. And that's why if it doesn't have gravitational systems and it was using some other type of propulsion, that's why I think that it would have to be some type of drone. Right. So that's, you know, it's either a more advanced, a very advanced drone technology that we've been working on for probably centuries. But, you know, if we did recover a craft and, and, over in Roswell, mm -hmm. then, you know, it would explain, you know, all the, you know, different texts that we've come out. I mean, in 2000, it just actually just in 2000, would you have ever thought you could do what you can do with an iPhone? No, no, exactly. I mean, remember, remember when the razor phones were like, whew, uh, you know, I got me in my titanium razor phone, you know, my flip phone. Oh, look at this. It's so bad. Look, yeah, check out. I can do. I can do emoticons on this, and it just had automatic. You know, you know, smiley faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were the hottest toys. Yep, I had mine flipped up, oh, and and that was really big then. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yes, but you're right. You know, I mean, so our technology just keeps going spiraling just faster and faster. And I truly believe that once the primary consumers, which are the baby boomers right now, mm -hmm. when the baby boomers have passed on and it's now the people that are in their thirties and forties are the primary consumers mm -hmm. that those people can consume technology at a far faster rate. Yes, absolutely. So once the commercial market can consume it at that fast rate. I think you're going to see a major boom in tech and you're going to start seeing what's actually out there. I mean, some of this foldable technology and bio LEDs, which are now called OLEDs or organic LEDs. I, I've seen that tech 20 years ago, Wow! you know, and it wasn't anything fancy or anything like that. But I mean, you know, I'd worked in the, in an industry that where, you know, you hear mm. things about, stuff that's being developed right. now, I never I never touched it or saw it or you know put my hands on it but it's just like you know you know you hear about them working on a bending a screen that bends and it's like well why the hell would you want to bend a screen and then you know you see something like uh, you know a minority report and it's like hmm now I see now I now I want the bendy screen <laughs> you know so and then now they have it it's it's out <laughs> you know, I can see, I can see that this is from your technical perspective more than a personal perspective. It's made you think about a whole pile of different possibilities. On a personal level, how has this affected your life? Um, see, it's it's hard to say how this just this one event really affected my life because this this one event was just like the last thing that happened to me in the military, right? And then, and then I started my civilian life. 
you know, I worked as an engineer in San Diego and then I moved over to, to Florida and I kind of moved around a little bit in between, but it, it's always kept me, uh, you know, in my private work, always thinking, mm-hmm. you know, I always have these equations running in my head, how it's possible, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, things like that and, you know, uh, stuff that I've seen with, uh, you know, high level acoustic testing that they do, uh, you know, being able to displace matter with just using acoustics, right. you know, uh, you know, you know, things, things, things of that nature, these all can be, these all could provide propulsion, weaponry, you know, stuff like that, all high level physics that I try to, I always, I, I think it just opened my mind more than it was, you know, it was, uh, you know, for a long time, you got to remember who the hell is going to believe you. Exactly. I mean, so, I mean, generally, unless I had a couple of pints with you for, and you were a good, you're a good, you know, a good friend, I may not even, even tell you the story. (laughs) So. Yeah. And that would be fair call on your part, because I mean, there's been a culture that's been deliberately cultivated where people who share their experiences, whether they're in the military, well, in the military, I'm leading you which actually says something big that you didn't have to sign anything. And nobody talked about it for a long, long time. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's kind of, and even, even now that the Navy came out and it was such big news that basically just proved our credibility. Yeah. It, it still doesn't really feel like a lot, it's not really a big deal. Right. Like people are just, I think people are just so numb from everything. There's just so many, so many other horrible things going on. There's, you know, people are focused on all the bad stuff that are happening. And it's like, really people yeah. believe me, it's, it's only, it's still the best time of human history. <laughs> you know, there's still bad things are going to go on. We have, you know, what, so it, how many billions of people on this planet with 13 billion people out of that 13 billion people, there's going to be a lot of bad apples. <laughs> yeah, there are. And when you get all these people living in tight quarters and the overpopulated classrooms and just when with overpopulation, you're just going to get a lot of mental illness. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Humans are never meant to be crowded. They're not creatures that are designed to be living in crowded spaces. They're designed to be social, but they're not you necessarily need to be crammed into, you know, ghettos and, you know, bad neighborhoods. And, right. You know, when. You know, when a human feels hopeless, well, that's just it. Right, right. They're hopeless. So that's one thing that I think that definitely has probably changed about me is that even though I'm, I stay, I remain pessimistic and a bit of a skeptic on a lot of things, mm. but I'm never going to, unless you come off completely just absolutely nut job because you've, everybody's run into people like that. And it's like they, they're so passionate and so they want you to believe them so badly that it's very hard to even believe them, mm. you know, and, you know, and it's, it's just like, that's probably why a lot of us come across as more, you know, like, all right, well, these guys barely even believe themselves. So, <laughs> you know, the things that happen, you know, they're just, they were, they were so amazing at the time. And yet it was so downplayed that you just kind of like, all right, well, you know, where, where am I going to go to work when I get out? Um, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If they had made a big deal out of it, it might have been a different situation. I actually had an interview with a chap. I don't know if you've heard of this case. There were two U.S. Air Force bases in the U.K. One was called Bent Waters. The other was called Woodbridge. 
I've heard of the Bentwater one. I interviewed a chap who is a member of the security police there, and he had top secret clearance. He was involved in that incident, but he had never spoken public before. He spoke to me about it, and I felt really, really, oh, honestly, my heart just ached for this poor chap. He's got physical illnesses he's dealing with from exposure to whatever it was he was exposed to at that incident that's directly attributable, like he's developed thyroid cancers to a degree that the doctors told him that they only ever see in people that have been that have been exposed to massive amounts of radiation. Mm-hmm. He was only nineteen, so he's a kid, you know. Yeah. And they had their debriefing. They were basically told they had to keep their mouth shut. There was no counselling. Nobody they could talk to about what they'd experienced. Nothing, you know. Yeah, and. And back then, they barely even knew about a lot of the different radiations or even how to, you know, block them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Back back then, you know, lead jacket, that's it. <laughs> anyway, that's kind of way off the track. But I was just interested in comparing how you've dealt with this compared to how he dealt with it. I, I deal with it very pragmatically. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I just don't... Um, I, I don't really care if people believe me or not. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's just, it is, it is what it is. Either you, you, you want to hear the story. You want to know, you want to know what we know. We'll tell you. We, we're, and we've actually gotten together because there's, there's stuff that we've heard hearsay from other people and stuff that to people that we do trust, but we can't, we don't know. We can't validate it because we don't have contact with those people. Anymore. Right. You know, so we don't talk about it. We let it for if we do get a hold of those people, like uh, you know, I was originally I talked about the the, the right. USOs where you know it was being tracked underwater because it was secondhand knowledge that I got from somebody else, and I made sure that it was very clear in most of my interviews that this is coming from another person. Mm. This is not firsthand knowledge, you know, because I stayed mostly over in where the sonar systems were when whenever I was kind of being a fly on the wall when these things were going on. Right. You know, so anytime they were doing the tracks and there was too many important people on, on deck, you know, <laughs> I'd be, I'd just kind of slink over to the, you know, you know, to an area where they can't quite, you know, nobody, nobody bothers to go to sonar ever. <laughs> so, and it's just a little, little space right in combat. So, you know, you can kind of hide over there because there's enough equipment to hide behind. <laughs> I've just got one final question for you, Gary, and that is, why do you feel that your government has finally come out and acknowledged that, yes, these things are real, but we don't know what they are? Why do you think they've come out and said that now? Well, I guess, uh, you know, hide in plain sight. Easiest way to deal with something is just to admit that it's real and move on. And then everybody's like, cause I mean, everybody in the back of their mind, you know, yeah, of course we think it's real, yeah, you know? And then all of a sudden they come out and say, it's, and it's not that big of a deal anymore. Yeah. We've yeah. been watching X-Files and movies and, you know, where the, you know, the, the day the earth stood still for what, how many freaking decades. <laughs> yeah. We just like, just like with the mass violence, we're all just numb to it at this point. That's true. That's very true. People become very numb to it. And that's quite sad actually. Yeah, the desensitization of the mass population. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. What else your government is going to? Well, you got to remember, there's been 
there's been a lot of times in the in the past history that Congress has been addressed by serious situations like this, mm-hmm. you know, and you know they've even had congressional hearings throughout the decades. They've had things that were even further along than we are now, and nothing ever happened from them. So, you know, I would love to see disclosure, full disclosure, but I don't think it's going to come from the states. Oh no, I don't think it's going to come from the states either. To be perfectly honest. I think it's gonna I think a country like Iran or a country like North Korea or a country that just basically just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna be the ones that are gonna like parade a a, a UFO across a you know <laughs> Yeah, they're like, look what we got, you know? Yeah, so. Yeah, or the beings that actually operate the UFOs is more to the point. Yeah. Because I noticed that whilst they validated that they were real, they didn't say there's no mention of who operates them or who makes them. And Yeah, they basically, that's the whole point. They're just like, they're saying they're unknown. We have no idea who they are. Yeah, yeah. They, they wouldn't, you know, they're not going to come out and say, yeah, we think they're aliens or yeah, we think it's another country with alien technology, you know, or they're not going to say, yeah, that's our reverse, you know, reverse engineered technology that we've been taking it with for 30 years. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, you can't really expect them to do that. And the whole new procedures for the Navy for reporting these things, it's basically the same procedure, but now public. <laughs> right, right. So they're not going to get laughed at anymore, although they probably still will. And I think the other, the other uh, point to, to changing the name from UFO to, uh, what is it that they changed it to? UAP. UAP is so that the all of the people doing the Freedom of Information Acts have to <laughs> resubmit everything to it with a different name on it. Yeah, there's probably that aspect to it. I agree. Yeah, so basically, yeah, so there, there's, don't ever think that the government's not being shady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have to, but there has to be a level of shadiness to protect secrecy. And as much as we all want to know what they are, where they're coming from, if it sacrifices any type of safety of the United States or even anybody, I am not for disclosure. Mm. I am for disclosure under the situation that it's not going to cause mass panic. It's not going to cause anything. And I don't think we as a people are ready for disclosure. Mm. Well, you know, it might actually be taken out of the government's hands. They might not actually have any say in the matter. Well, that's if they're not in contact with them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, because you know, say 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 if they uh, say if my theory about them visiting but leaving and coming back, you know, and not having faster than light travel, you may be damn right about that. It could be any day now. They just like, hey, yeah, we're back. So how have you guys been doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've noticed over the past two years that your government, in particular, all the world governments, but your government in particular, has been drip feeding people little bits of information, little bits of information, and then finally this. So, yeah, I've noticed, particularly over the past two years, that this has been occurring. But anyway, Gary, I know it's late there, and I'm really grateful for the time you spent with me today, and I've really enjoyed listening to you. I think you guys are really awesome coming forward and sharing this to the world. And uh, and I'm, I'm sure you sure you, you'd already found me on uh, 
uh, what is it? Uh, Twitter and and uh, and Messenger. Mm. Uh, anybody that has questions, especially uh, prior military guys, I definitely encourage them to come out and come forward with anything that they have. Um, we actually have uh, nonprofits started to you know maybe try 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 to fund the situations where we can you know get these guys together to talk about their situations and and we're going to be doing expeditions off the coast of uh, san diego near san clemente where we actually had the sightings here hopefully uh, next couple of, i think in the next year right now that they're looking at doing it but we're going to get out there we're going to basically look to you know see if there's anything special about that area you know how awesome yeah oh that's awesome that you're all doing that it's like a support network do you want to give out your Twitter and your Facebook? Yeah, um, you can you, you can you can link that. I'll, and then it's uh, I think it's at Gary Voorhees for Twitter. And then you you already have my uh, you already have my Facebook. And then uh, you know I encourage anybody that has any questions they can they can I'm I'm available. But it's just uh, remember, I get it. I got your. You know, I will get, you know, as you send the responses, I can get to them as I can get to them. So it could be a couple of weeks up to a month or so before I get back to some people. But but I will always eventually give some type of response, you know, so. And is there a website for this group that's been put together? I think right now it's still in the process of being built uh, for the website itself. Okay. Now, now I won't I won't accept anybody's friend requests. But I do open up my messenger for anybody. So if you send me a, a private message on messenger, then I get them. And then after there's like five or six of them in there, I usually will start answering them. I usually at least try to check it once a week. Um, but like I said, my primary, my primary duties in this life is, you know, making my wife happy and my daughter, my daughter, uh, you know, and spending time with my daughter. So it, it's, yeah, everything else is second. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm 100% behind that. Your family is number one priority and always should be. Anyway, Gary, thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed talking with you immensely. All right, no problem. Have a good one. Thanks so much for your time. All right, no problem. You have a wonderful night and God bless you and your family. Uh but we've got, I mean, we've got many theories. I'm not, I've, there, there's two basically outcomes for what it is. It's something built on this earth by somebody on this earth or it's something from outer space. Mm, right. Just because of what I know and what I dealt with in my military career and my, some of my civilian jobs that I've had after that, I tend to believe it's something from this earth. Oh, really? Interesting. Um, some people actually argue with me about, but at the same time, I am 100% open to it being not from here. Right. And it would be equally satisfying for that to be the outcome. Right. It's just with my experiences, you know, I know there's stuff that not everybody knows about that exists. So I understand the possibility right. that they could have something like this that doesn't, that, you know, doesn't exist because they don't want to tell us about it. Well, of course. Like, the stealth fighter is a perfect example of that, isn't it? Yes. Exactly. How long did they have the stealth before it went public? Exactly. 
And that's so, simply why I tend to lean that way. Yeah. But I'm equally open to it being, you know, E.T. from Planet You-Know-What. Right. And, of course, it could always be back-engine technology as well because I understood it was doing, like, when it descended into the ocean and at one part it was doing 24,000 miles per hour. Yeah, that is... With no sonic booms. Yeah, um, that was based on that that calculation, so to speak, was came from Kevin Day. Yeah. It was based on um, what they saw on the Princeton's radar. Right. How fast it moved. So, you know, that's a fairly confident, a fairly accurate number, but it could be different. Right. Um, but yeah, it went from, you know, point A to point B and that quick. Yeah, very quickly. It also went from where it was being chased by Commander Fravor's airplane back to Commander Fravor's cap point uh, a good distance away, almost instantaneously. Could you please explain what a cap point is for those of us who aren't military and don't understand the lingo? Uh, It's it's basically a, a point in the sky that, they use it as a rendezvous point. It's called a uh, oh, okay. combat air patrol point. It's basically a point in space where that's where they start. Right, got you. So if they go do something, they go back to that point before they do something else. Um, it's not a classified latitude and longitude. It's just not publicized. Of course. So nobody would have known where their, their, their cap point was. Right. So how does an object get from where they were with Commander Fravor and, and his aircraft back to that point that quickly and without having any way to know where that point was. Right. Good point. So there's a lot of unknowns to the whole story that we still don't know. Mm-hmm. And I guess that brings in the men coming to collect the stuff and how would they have known to begin with? Um, it, I mean, the only reason I can think they may have had a heads up is the fact that the Princeton had been dealing with the object for almost, you know, three, four days at that point. Oh, that's true. Um, And we were, I mean, give or take 90 miles from San Diego. Um, So somebody could easily have been told that early that morning and make it out to the ship by the time, you know, lunchtime hit. Right. Or somebody else knew what was going on and they planned to come out at that point. Right. You know, there's... There's multiple outcomes for that. Yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah. But in the last couple of days, I've actually come to the realization of something. When we were out in 2004, the the Nimitz Strike Group was basically the the top of the line when it came to the Navy at that point. Right. We had some of the newest airplanes, the newest software, newer capabilities, and it was basically the first time all that stuff had been deployed together. Um, and we were testing a lot of it and working a lot of it. So at that point we were the best the Navy had to offer. Right. 2015 comes along and the gimbal incident over off of Florida, Mm. that carrier strike group was the top of the line. And it's a, there was no point between 2004 and 2015, where there was a, such a drastic change in capabilities of the battle group. Right. 
So it's almost like they tested us in 2003 when we got really good at stuff. Or sorry, 2004. Right. When we got really good at stuff. You know, they know our capabilities. And all of a sudden we push out in 2015 a bunch of new stuff. And here come objects again. Oh, that's a very valid observation, actually. It's... And, you know, I could just be reaching with that observation, but... Well, it's as valid as anything, isn't it? Yeah. But it's just an interesting... It's a very interesting way to look at it. Mm. If it's us, that somebody knowing that that battle group was now top of the line and says, hey, let's go test against them again. Right. If it's not our technology and it's something off this planet, it then becomes that much... It almost becomes a little worrying. Mm-hmm. One, how do they know that's the best we have to offer at that time? Right. And why are they only worried about the best we have to offer? Mm. Why are they not just bothering everybody at the same time? That's a, yeah. a very interesting observation. So what, is you, so what is your feeling about your military coming out in the past couple of weeks saying, yes, these videos are real. Yes, UFOs exist. I mean, to a point, the the videos, however they got released, got released. Mm. There's too much evidence to support those videos that they are, in fact, real, that you can't deny it. Yeah. And when you add in all the other stuff that's come out in regards to it, it's very hard to hide the fact that it's not an airplane. It's not something we know. Right. And they're not saying it's a UFO. They're saying it's an unidentified aerial phenomenon. Yes, that's what they call them these days, yes. They're saying it is something. We're telling you it's something. We agree it's something. Yeah. That's as far as we're going to go. Yeah. It's good that they're admitting it. Albeit a bit late, eh? Well, yeah. Um, And who knows? They could have a reason for doing it. They could not have a reason for doing it. You never know with a government. That's true. Um, But one of the reasons it's encouraging that they released it is back in 2004, one of Kevin Day's major concerns was the safety of the aircrew, the pilots flying in the airplanes with something like that flying around yeah that's that's a valid concern and that was his that was actually his reasoning for getting commander fravor to break off their mission to go look at that object was the fact that safety of flight issue um by the navy admitting that that stuff was out there it's actually a sign of them in my opinion admitting it to Admitting to it more for the protection of its pilots. Mm. Hey, this stuff is actually out there, and we're not just ignoring it. Mm. What about the fact that they're actually allowing personnel to report sightings now, rather than discouraging it? Is that just window dressing as well? <laughs> well officially, you've always been able to report something like that. Right. But there's not just as I explained with the jokes about you know this incident in two thousand four. You know, nobody was going to take you seriously. Yeah, yeah. And when you're on an aircraft carrier in the middle of, say, the Pacific Ocean, where there's no land for hundreds of miles, the the sky gets so clear Mm -hmm. 
you can see everything. Wow. Um, so it's not unheard of for people to see things. Right. You know, I can't tell you what it is. I can tell you probably something's a satellite just because you can kind of tell a pattern. Yeah. But people see things that you don't normally see. So the possibility is that people are seeing things. How much have people seen, but they never reported it because you don't want to get laughed at by, by everybody you work with. Right. And you also don't want to risk any chances of, of losing promotion. And Exactly. Else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the guy who saw a UFO. <laughs> Forget about it. Yeah. You know, but now you have the Navy admitting that things exist, whatever they think it is. You have highly experienced and highly senior military officers going public with it, mainly Commander Fravor. You have senators and people who are starting to get interested in it. You have, you know, the handful of us who have come public about this incident. And, and none of us have been laughed at. Nobody's been arrested, thrown in a padded room. <laughs> you know, sooner or later, people are going to start understanding that nobody's going to come after you if you say anything. Right. Nobody's going to laugh at you, you know, if you see something. Yeah. And maybe things will start coming out of this and we'll see more patterns and more experiences. Um, so I think it's a positive thing that they did it. Well, yes, it's about time. I actually did an interview with a chap. His episode was the first of the seasons. He was based in the UK with the Air Force during the Rendlesham Forest Affair. I don't know if you've heard of that. You possibly haven't. I think I've heard the name, but I'm not. I'm not. From, I was never super into to like UFOs before this. Right. So there's a lot of stories that I'm just. I, I mean, I've heard briefly, but I'm not really familiar. Well, it's a really, it's a really world famous episode, like yours is now, but it was based between two Air Force bases in England. One was called Woodbridge and the other Bentwaters. And he was 19 years old at the time. And in the security police, um, MPs, whatever they call them, that was his job. And he had this experience then and he had never spoken of it publicly until he spoke to me about it. It affected his whole life. He's in his 50s now and he's struggling with health issues directly related to his UFO experience. He's carried this his entire life and still has the effects of it affecting him now. I just felt so bad for him because there was no counselling given to the men who... And, and this was a UFO that actually landed on the ground. It was solely witnessed on the ground by military personnel. And these guys were given no counselling. They were given no support. They were just told, basically, shut your mouths. Do not to discuss this. Yes, that's how it works, unfortunately. Yeah. And so he's got PTSD from it. And he has multiple health issues directly attributable to the radiation from the ship. Having said that, has this affected your life in any way? Um, me personally, no. Um, I know it's affected Kevin Day. Right. Um, he he's spoken quite publicly about some of the stuff that it's affected with him. Right. Uh, I know Gary Voorhees, because um, the the guys on the Princeton, aside from tracking it on the radar, they actually saw the objects with their own eyes. Ah, uh, right. Um, Ship has a giant, they call them big eyes, and they're a really big set of binoculars. And quite a few of them were able to go out if you had, you know, access to those binoculars to see them. And I know Kevin Day saw them, Gary Voorhees saw them, um, Jason Turner saw 
everything through the video. Um, so I, 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 it never affected me. Right. But I believe, like Kevin Day, I believe him wholeheartedly when he says it's affected him. Yeah. So, but I know stuff that's affected me that hasn't affected other people who were there. So. Yeah, exactly. It's individual to the person. I understand that. But for those like Kevin who had that experience, it would alter your paradigms on how you perceive reality to be. Yes. Well, I'm I'm glad that you've had no effects from it because I guess you were a step removed from the actual event. So that was probably a bit of a blessing in some respects, but enough for you to see the effects of this on others. That's really interesting. Is there anything that you personally would take away from this experience that's given you pause for thought or anything like that? Um, I mean, I, I, I got back into this whole subject actually by accident. I ran across Dave Beatty's video on YouTube, and I, I just had sent him an email saying there's some parts of the story that you didn't know. Whoa. And then Dave convinced me, you know, to interview and I ended up going to UFO Megacon in Laughlin, Nevada. Um, got in touch with Gary and Kevin and Jason and a few other people and filled in so many blanks to the story I knew. Right. And it's it I guess it really it it has changed my perception a little just because of I, I've met a whole bunch of new people. Right. Um, I'd say 75% of them have been genuine in, in their beliefs and what they've told me, and I have no reason to doubt them. Right. I've talked to a few people who I think are absolutely bonkers. Um, but I, I, it's just a, a whole – it's a whole world of stuff I didn't think about. Hmm a whole world of possibilities with this event I hadn't thought about, you know. Right. If it's our stuff, there's a whole bunch of new physics that have been developed that the world doesn't know about. You know, they, and then where did they get these physics from? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's so much of our culture that is based off of what we know now that could drastically change if this is in fact ours. True. And if it's not ours and it's something from – outer space it's equally going to change so much of what we know right absolutely i think that's one of the things that scares a lot of people it's not necessarily that there are aliens out there it's what's going to change because we now know for a fact right that there are aliens out there right you know there's some people who will be perfectly acceptable to it they're going to be some crazy wackos who you know aliens are going to burn down our planet we can't let them here yeah you know there's going to be some people who just don't care. You know, you're going to get a whole wide range of reactions to it. Um, and personally, if they told me tomorrow that aliens were real, I'm not sure how I'm going to react. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Contact. With Jodie Foster. Yeah. Where she, um, one of the lines in the movie, and I, I know it comes from the guy who wrote it, um, but if we're alone in the galaxy, it's an awful waste of space, you know. I firmly believe somewhere out there, there is something else. Mm. Uh, I don't know what it is or if it's somebody or if it's intelligence, but there's other stuff out there that we just don't know about yet. Right. So I don't, but even then I don't know how to react. If they told me tomorrow that, you know, ET is landing on the airplane and we're going to go say hi to him. Well, 
I think you're probably a bit more prepared than the average person considering what you've been through. So you've probably got a bit of a head start there anyway. <laughs> yes. Did you know that there was a poll done recently and over 67, 68% of Americans believe in the existence of extraterrestrial beings and life off this planet? I did not know that. That's actually much higher than I expected. Yeah. It used to be like 30% maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's quite a large percentage of people who actually believe. And what you said before was right. And I actually said to my listeners in the beginning of an episode that aired some weeks back, if we're the only intelligent species in these multi-universes, what does that mean for us? Exactly. And if we're not, what also does that mean for us as humanity? Exactly. So much to think about. Lots of questions, eh? Yes. So thank you very much, Patrick, for taking the time to share your part of the experience with me and my listeners. That's really awesome. No problem. In these episodes, we've covered the USS Navy, Tic Tac, UAP, UFO, AVV, whatever term you wish to use for these sightings. The episode that made headlines around the world and to this date remains unexplained. Personally for me, this raises more questions than anything else and leads me off into the world of government conspiracies and cover-ups, shadow governments and more. An area I've not gone into in this program or indeed in this podcast. But if enough of you are interested, then flip me an email at shadowlands at yahoo.com and I'll do an episode on government conspiracies and shadow governments for you. I found Gary and Patrick both most interesting to listen to. What impressed me about about both of these gentlemen was the fact that they simply don't care whether people believe them or not. They saw what they saw, experienced what they experienced, and now that the US forces have come out and said that these objects are real, as Gary said, this makes them the most credible witnesses in the world. Can't beat that. I want to end these episodes with this quote from the short documentary The Nimitz Experience by David Beatty, as I feel the words are most appropriate. The answers seem to elude everyone, like reflections on a wave, yet they are out there. Our musical score today is called Private Reflection by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. For more information, check out this episode's page on the podcast website at www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences 
that you might like to share privately or with myself and my audience, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform. Who knows? You may hear your review read out at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and from iHeartRadio as well. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about us, about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also, the more the merrier. And take the time to check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, today, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours, We'll see you this time next week. Thanks for listening. 